So the book of James, chapter 5, this morning. We're going to be picking up in verse 7. And I titled the, the message um, this week, A Needed Reminder, When Wronged, Be Patient. So I need the, uh, the deacons to go ahead and lock the back door and the side door here. If you feel like at some point in the course of this message that I'm stepping on your toes, just remember that the Holy Spirit stepped all over mine all week long. So you can at least endure it once, right? In the preparation of this. That's why they say, don't pray for patience. Because you have opportunities almost every day, if not every day, to exercise that in multiple times throughout the course of any given day. Now, if you recall, it was the first six verses of chapter 5 where James gives us a snapshot of some really harsh treatment that these Jewish brethren, Christians, have uh, those, as we saw in chapter 1, 1, that were dispersed and scattered abroad, that they were being really mistreated at the hands of, of the unbelieving wealthy class. The, uh, the landowners, and we discovered that some of them had even died as a result of the harsh treatment that they were enduring. And it's fair to say that some of those deaths were perhaps due to starvation and uh, other conditions resulting from their mistreatment. And we saw there in uh, verse 6, very clearly last week, it says, James was saying to them, to the wealthy class landowners, he said, You've condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. And in our passage this morning, James once again is going to remind these suffering saints of the kind of response that God wants his children to have in light of such persecution and mistreatment. And this is where we are reminded that we really are living for another world, aren't we? There's a lot of talk these days about social justice. Have you perhaps picked up on some of those reverberations? And listen, everybody's for social justice. Everybody believes that all laws should be meted out equally regardless of the color of one's skin, etc., etc. It doesn't matter how loud you say that, it's not going to get across. You can't solve an emotional problem with logic. You just can't. But the good news is, is the Word of God doesn't shy away from the reality that there is mistreatment, there is injustice that happens on this earth, and there's only going to be one time and one person who's ultimately going to bring that to a conclusion. Go read Revelation 20, when the Son of Man with the sword coming out of his mouth comes back, it says, with the armies of heaven. Oh, justice will be meted out perfectly. Perfectly. And not until then, that's right. And listen, this is when we're in instances like this, when reading of what's happening to these brethren and thinking through these things, we're reminded forcibly that our true citizenship is genuinely in heaven. It's not on planet earth. We need not try to make the kingdoms of this world our home. And we so desperately sometimes want to fight for that. And sometimes we just have to be patient and wait on the Lord. James gives these brethren, those who have been condemned, put to death, the righteous, 
He gives them a word in verse 7. Notice what he says. Therefore, in direct response to the circumstances that you are being, how you are being treated and the recognition of said treatment, James does not come up with a plan on how they can make their circumstances or their situation better other than by saying you need to control your attitude and your emotions. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren. So in light of the fact that it's the wealthy, unbelieving class that has been condemning them, withholding their, 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 their pay, leading some to, even to death, and it's against God's people, God's word is simple. Be patient. Yes, we saw that correctly. He says, be patient. Patient is from a compound Greek word, makros thumos. Makros is... The Greek word for long and thumos, anger. Makros thumos, long anger. James is telling these brothers that they need to wait a long time, makros, before getting thumos, before getting angered. And then the, um, the, the essence of that word is to mean that you're going to continue waiting and continue waiting and you're going to go a long time and you're going to go a long time and then the ultimate question becomes, well, how long? How long before we can get angry about this? Because it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And if we think about it, the reality is, is that in our flesh, we obviously always want to respond. I mean, listen, the reality is, is that you and I have uh, difficulty being patient when we do things like uh, wait in the food, fast food line in McDonald's and it's taking too long to get our, our cheeseburger plain with, with fries, right? There's like two cars in front of you and for some reason the car that's in front of the car that's in front of you just is, it's forever. Have you ever been there? Get impatient about some really frivolous things. Sometimes the 5G or the fiber connectivity has the audacity to not work correctly. It, it buffers in that little spinning wheel. It might, it might spin for an entire 60 seconds. And then perhaps it might be just the reality that there are other people in our lives that rub us wrong. They don't see things the way we see things. And of course, our way is better, but somehow they have the upper hand on the situation because they may be the one that's in charge. And so... Things don't go your way, and so being patient with them might become a little bit difficult. We have a hard time being patient with some of the most insignificant issues that we could think about. God's Word is calling these brethren, who are, in, who are facing almost an assurity of death perhaps, that they need to be Patient when facing their circumstances and trials. I think that there's some room for us to grow here. How about you? So what I want you to do is I want you to think of three, only three times this past week when you can vividly remember not being patient with one of the aforesaid mentioned things or perhaps other things. Maybe it was with your wife or with your husband or with your kids because they just don't clean their bathroom when we tell them to or whatever it might be. And so we become impatient and we lash out irrationally, feeling justified in doing so. Just three. Um, think of three things. And I'll, I'm waiting. I'm, after all, I'm patient. I mean, 
I can, I can, I can tell nobody's writing. I, I want to see somebody like look. I'm, I uh, driving to work this past week. I got a little impatient because somebody sat at the light when it turned green for an extra five seconds because they were on their cell phone instead of noticing the light. Wake up! Is any? I, I, I'm telling on myself right now. Has anybody else done that? I mean, thank you. We've got a couple of honest souls around here. That, those kind of things drive me insane. It's like, put your phone down and drive. You're going to kill somebody. But it's amazing how quickly I can get impatient and Makros Thumas doesn't become a part of Ben's life. So just think of a few of those things uh, that you perhaps are needing to confess your, yourself and, um, and, and then repent. Repent to God for being the sinner that you are and give Him thanks instead for the areas of your life that you struggle with patience, but give Him thanks that the areas in your life that you need patience are far less significant than the areas of life in which these brethren that came before us needed patience. Amen? It's called, I think it's called perspective. Right? James gives us a great capacity to have perspective. And God's word has the audacity, and I would say, and authority to tell these brethren, and of course all of God's children, while facing impossible persecution and trials, to be patient. To be patient. Now, I want you to try, if you can, honestly, if you can, maybe you can't, it's difficult, but try, if you can, to walk a mile in their shoes. Their shoes. If you can, just try in your mind to walk a mile in their shoes. You perhaps have had a loved one lost due to whatever the circumstances that were leading to this. And then you get a word from Brother James and you're reading through it and you're feeling good and you get the end of his, his letter and, you, and he starts kind of showing you know, that these wealthy landowners, it's a, a coming and you're going, yeah! And then all he says is, he says, but therefore you, in light of such mistreatment, you be patient. Try to walk just a, a, a step or two in their shoes and then now ask yourself, how would that make you feel? Honestly, I mean, with all sincerity and genuineness, how would this instruction from James, had you been in this class of people living at this time, how would that instruction have made you feel? And how does it make you feel today whenever you're called to be patient in the circumstances in which you're living? Listen, the only hope that we have of being patient successfully in any situation, whether one like theirs, praise God, it's not like that for us now, or the ones that we are currently facing is to allow the Spirit of God to have control of our emotions, of our life, our heart, to have control of our emotions, which is a very difficult thing to do. Patience is, after all, a fruit of the Spirit. I'm sure you were not wanting me to remind you of that. From Galatians 5... 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit 
right here. But you already knew that. It's not, I'm not preaching or telling you anything new. This is just kind of waxing on what is so that we can have a fresh reminder of the reality that patience is to be a functional part, one of the outward signs, if you will, of the life of God's children uh, on a daily basis. It's uh, an ability that we have uh, to, to allow patience as a fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our life. And especially whenever it's in times that are really inconvenient or perhaps difficult. The, the ability to do that, the reality that we can do that is there. Amen? It is. And so, prior to verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul in verse 16 shows us that um, when we walk in accordance with the Spirit... You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, remember, the, the flesh is wanting a pound of flesh oftentimes, right? It, that, that's very true. And to say otherwise perhaps would make us out to be a liar because, listen, all of us are in the same human suits, flesh. We, we all know what that feels like. We've all been there, and, and we thought of perhaps three times even just uh, this morning coming to church this morning that maybe we discovered that a little bit because, you know, the husband didn't pick his socks up off the floor from the night before and, or whatever it may be. I mean, I'm serious. We, we all know the, this, the, the flesh wants a pound of flesh oftentimes about some of the most insignificant things. But Paul is letting us know that when we live according to the Spirit, whenever we, when we're having an abiding relationship with Jesus and the Spirit of God that resides with, with us becomes a controlling influence on how we live our lives, we do have the ability for this to be a reality in our lives, that we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The flesh indeed has its own desires, but you do not, you do not have to carry that out. Do you believe that? You need to believe that because the Bible says so. When we walk, when we give functional control of our emotion, our flesh... To God. It demonstrates the reality, if you will, of our walk, of our life and our walk with the Lord. And our walk shows in that very moment, in that moment, and this isn't an issue of questioning one's salvation. This is just in that moment, our life demonstrates and shows in that moment who's in that moment really in control over your life. Your thinking, your emotions. And it's okay to be reminded by the Spirit of God that we still have room for growth. That we still have a room and, a, and more capacity to walk by the Spirit and to give the Lord more functional control over our lives. That's not a bad thing, is it? It's actually a good thing. And it's one of the good gifts of God that He can show us through His Word. That we need to do that. And, if that wasn't enough, which it may have been, but I'm going to give you one. One more really beautiful verse here from the love chapter from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, yeah, you see the very first one, right? Love is what? Daggone it. Don't you just hate it when it comes together like that so tightly? Yes. Love is makros thumos. 
has the capacity to wait a long time before getting angered over things that perhaps even whenever somebody um, does you wrong, love just doesn't take that into account. Yeah. It's not seeking its own. So, makros thumos, love is patient. So that if I were one of these Jewish brethren who lost a loved one due to the unjust suffering at the hands of the wealthy landowners, what do I need to do? What would you need to do? We would need to love our enemy. We would need to pray for those who persecuted us, thereby fulfilling the law of liberty that James was talking about earlier in chapter 2. And remember, in chapter 2, James mentioned in verse 12 that mercy triumphs over judgment. So, brothers and sisters, be patient. As a matter of fact, the Word of God tells us that we must be patient with everyone First Thess 5.14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. There it is. Be patient with everyone. So again, the question that I didn't answer completely was kind of hinted at it, but how long? Like the psalmist, how long, O oh Lord, must I endure these people forever? And be patient with them forever? Yes. As a matter of fact, James, as we continue in verse 5, after saying, be patient, brethren, what does he say? How long? Well, he says, until the coming of the Lord. <laughs> until the coming of the Lord. Now, there it is. Now, so let me, are, are you feeling better? Doesn't that help? So if you're a part of the brethren who are dispersed abroad and you're being mistreated so miserably that some of you are even being put to death... Be patient. How long? Until the coming of the Lord. That's all. Well, when's he coming? And this is where the teaching, the apostolic teaching, all throughout the New Testament, has always had the coming of the Lord right at hand. Isn't that great? The scriptures have New Testament believers sitting on the edge of their seat, anticipating a coming of the Lord. As a matter of fact, I don't know, let me see if I've got verse, no, I don't have it right there yet, but we'll see. The, 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 the teaching that we see is that, and we see from the book of Acts, this is one of the places where we see uh, this concept very, very plainly uh, articulated. It says here in the very beginning, as the founding of the church and the coming of the Spirit is just about to get started, just notice this with me real, real quickly. It says, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up. So that's obviously Jesus. While they were looking on, those were his disciples. And the cloud received him, Jesus, out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothes stood beside them. So here are two angelic messengers clothed in white standing beside the disciples as Jesus was being lifted up out of their sight. They also said, verse 11, men, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The clear and consistent message regarding Jesus and the apostolic preaching and teaching was that he was coming back again 
in just the same way that you have watched him go into, the, into heaven for the purpose, if we went up before verses 9 and 11, and you go back to verses, let's say, um, I don't know, let's go 5 through 10, whenever the disciples were saying, is now the time you're going to establish your kingdom? Is now the time? And he says, not yet. For you, you just need to be my witnesses. But he's coming again in the same way that you've watched him go. So the, the clear, consistent teaching of the apostolic preaching and teaching has been that Jesus is coming again and he will then be establishing a kingdom on earth. Just like the disciples had been asking, just like they were anticipating from Messiah from the entirety of the Old Testament. Just not yet. So when James says, therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the Lord, we see that that testimony of those angelic messengers are a part of James' message as well, that it was standard fare in his teaching that the day of the Lord's coming, that glorious day where they were anticipating when every right would be made, where every wrong would be made right, I said that backwards, for all eternity, that day is indeed coming. It's coming. He's coming. So you beleaguered, suffering, wearied saints, perhaps even some of you who have lost your loved ones, be patient, endure your suffering, stand as a good soldier of Jesus Christ all the way to the end. He's coming. And when he comes again, he's coming as judge. And he will rule and reign from a kingdom on earth. They still didn't know how long because John hadn't written his revelation yet. But they knew he was coming again. A second advent to earth to accomplish what their Old Testament prophets said was going to happen. So wait for that. Be patient. And then James goes on and beautifully illustrates the difficulty of being patient as he continues in verse 7 and into verse 8 when he says, just like the farmer. Be patient how? Like the farmer. The farmer who waits for the precious produce of the soil. Being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, meaning you too in the same way as the farmer, and how he waits, you too wait, you too as the farmer, be patient. And a farmer, listen, they had to wait. The early rains of October and November would break the summer heat and help the seed to germinate, and the winter months would then bring a period of dormancy. And the late rains, which came around April and May, would allow the plants to mature. So in order for the farmer to receive a good crop... He had to be very patient indeed. And just as the farmer waits patiently through the entire growing season for his crops, so also are we as believers called to patiently endure unreasonable people through the entire season of our life or their life, whichever ends first, come soon, Lord Jesus, or until his coming for his church, whichever perhaps happens first. And notice I said we endure unreasonable people, unreasonable people, not that we are unreasonable people ourselves. 
We don't want to give cause for other people to need to be patient over our lives if not necessary. Amen? So again, in verse 8, James tells us what we need to do while we wait patiently. Because after all, is this easy, brothers and sisters? <laughs> no. It's the easy to say, it's the hard to do, obviously. And at the end of verse 2, after he says, you too be patient like the farmer was patient, he kind of says, and here's how you can do it. You do it by strengthening your hearts. Oh, and then he reiterates, for the coming of the Lord is what? The clear teaching of the apostolic preaching and teaching was that the coming of the Lord is right at hand. We've been waiting now for how long? We've been reading James, the church, God's people has been reading James for 2,000 years, let's say. We'll just average it out. Is the coming of the Lord, is it still near? It is. And that's why we as New Testament believers, just like those brothers, they were the early New Testament believers, are sitting on the edge of our seats and we are anticipating that soon arrival of the Lord. Just like the angelic messengers dressed in white in Acts 1 said He's coming. And James, one of the earliest books written in the New Testament canon, said He's coming. He is coming. But notice the, the, the portion before that where it says on the how-to, notice, strengthening your hearts. Strengthening is from a Greek word that means to establish. It's a word that denotes resoluteness, a firm courage, an attitude of commitment to stay the course no matter how severe the trial may be. So strengthen your hearts. Prepare yourselves for battle. Be established in your relationship with Christ because at the end, you may have to be saying like Paul said when he was in prison, to die is gain. And are you going to be able to say that? And will you mean it? Well, in order to do that, you might need to start strengthening your hearts. Don't let your hearts grow weary because what we do know about wearied and weakened hearts is what? They become feeble. A bruised reed. They, they, they become difficult to bear up. So you need to be Propping up your heart, strengthening your heart, preparing your heart for the capacity to endure the wrong suffering that you may be called to endure as a child of God until the coming of the Lord. And after all, it's what? It's near. Hang in there. We know not how long we must endure or wait. This, by the way, is what I might also refer to as really great biblical counseling, right? I mean, this really helps kind of settle us in on, on what we sometimes refer to as a biblical worldview of learning to view life through the Scriptures. And it's so important to be able to, to get there. When we start viewing life through the American dream, you will be greatly disappointed, often impatient with people, and striving after and chasing after the wind. Things that are ultimately of little or perhaps to no value at all. God's word doesn't want us as his people, as his children, trifling our, our lives away in pursuit of things that really don't matter. 
There are two things that will last for all eternity, the Word of God and the souls of people. You have a privileged knowledge because of the gospel and your eyes having been opened. You have privileged knowledge that lets you know how you ought to be spending your days. Yes, you need to make a living. Absolutely. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. He didn't just get into the lotus position and say, oh, hmm, and just wait. No, he made tents. He was a physical act. He did what he had to do to, put, to provide for himself, to put bread on his table. That's, I'm not saying that we don't do that. We do that, but that is not what defines who we are as people. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the def most defining element of our entire existence. And so we live, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's that simple. This is great biblical counseling. So instead of looking at ourselves and our unfair circumstances and kind of having the, the woe-is-me pity party that we're so often prone to do. I've been done wrong. They don't understand me. They never understood me. Don't they understand that my perfect life is getting messed up by the way they did X, Y, and Z? And on and on and on we go. I just take people to James 5 and say, have you got it that bad? Well, no, pastor. Well, just like they were called to be patient, then you, can you be patient? Uh, well, uh, yeah. It kind of puts a cap on it really quickly, doesn't it? And like, now listen, this is why I said if you feel like your toes are getting stepped on a little bit, they might be. Because we can be sensitive people, can't we? Let's just be honest. I've stepped on my own toes many times. I've had a great opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me for holding that little mental grudge about somebody who's saying, you do these things, but that's good. And that's like James says, don't be like the man who looks into the mirror, the, the mirror of Scripture. Remember in chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 area? Don't look into the Word of God and see a person who's in need of change and move away from it and forget what you saw. When you're there and you see the person that's in need of change, make that change, as MJ would say. Just do it. Just do it, right? Man, it sure is quiet in here. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling it too. The reason we can endure, brothers and sisters, even the petty and significant things that we go through is because of truth. The coming of the Lord is near. Be patient live for him. Now, lest we wrongly think that perhaps the admonition that James is giving for these believers is solely against the unbelieving from the outside, and we need to be patient against the unbeliever who's on the outside, he does have the audacity to also tell us that we need to make certain that we're not being impatient with one another as well within the brethren, within the church. So he says in verse 9, notice, do not complain, brethren, against one another. Uh, complaining would be a pretty um, direct result of, of impatience, of not liking the way something went down, and so it made me impatient, and so I complained. Don't complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right 
at the door. Can you feel that? Can, I mean, can you kind of feel a little bit of the weightiness with which James is giving these? And again, that's why I said try to walk just a mile in their shoes. Understand, when this word hit them fresh, this would have been a very difficult word for them to be grateful for. It'd be hard. They got family and friends that perhaps are dying as a result of persecution they're, under, they're undergoing. So be patient with those people. But you too, brothers and sisters, don't complain against each other. Don't, don't have a little skirmishes. In-house skirmishes. Where you're hitting the rear flanks. Because that's what the adversary likes to do. He likes to hit at the rear flanks and start taking people out, brothers and sisters out along the way. And if he can cause enough little skirmishes within the body and we get to where we're complaining against each other all the time, we forget about the fact that the coming of the Lord is near. We just want our pound of flesh and we'd be good if those people just went ahead and left. And, right, when, when those people might leave and go down to the, the fifth Baptist church down the street or the fifth Bible church down the street or whatever it might be, you know, then we can, we can then sing, you know, the, the, that that um, anthem song, you know, we got one less problem without you kind of thing, right? No. No, of course not. Listen, he's saying, listen, don't do this, brothers. Jesus is coming. This is, he's saying that when he says he's standing right at the door, what he's saying is this right here. He's saying the Lord is near. He's just reminding him in a different way. You don't want to be judged when the Lord comes back. You, you don't want to be in a situation where you find yourself within the local body having skirmishes amongst one another against secondary issues that are completely irrelevant to the gospel. You don't want to do that because you yourselves, so that, you yourselves may not be judged. The implication is, is that you will be judged for what you do in the body. It's not a judgment of loss of salvation. It's a judgment for what deeds are done in the body. So you want to be cognizant of that. You want to be mindful of that. For behold, let this arrest your attention. Is what behold, behold, the judge, Jesus, he's coming and he's standing right at the door. So, stop it. In other words, this was happening within and amongst the brethren. The word probably did get back to James. And James is saying, listen, you have enough problems with your adversaries from without to become adversarial within. So stop it. Stop doing that. So to help us resist having this kind of grudging spirit, James highlights for us some of the Old Testament prophets who endured in a similar way that these brethren who were dispersed abroad and greeting and meeting together also had to endure. Notice how he uses this in verse 10. He says, as an example, brethren. So again, he's talking to the church. He's talking to true believers. He's already articulated very finely from chapter 2 all the way through chapter 4 the essence of what a true believer looks like. And he's talking to them right here. As an example, brethren. Here he's assuming that everybody who's listening in intently is of the brethren class. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So, if you think about the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, Moses 
at just a few times in the course of his sojourning with the Lord, was despised by the entire nation. Do you recall that? In Exodus 17, 4, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. David, a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 23, 9 says, It says, David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. Elijah faced hostility from evil king Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Jeremiah endured opposition his entire ministry. Ezekiel endured the death of his wife. Daniel faced the lions and other things. John the Baptist lost his head. So I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy portion of Scripture here for you, but listen to the, what happened to these prophets who went before you, who are an example of suffering and patience. Notice from Hebrews eleven thirty two, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, hello Daniel, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weaknesses were made strong, became mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured. Others were tortured not accepting the release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, tempted, put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. As an example, brothers, of what suffering and patience look like, take the prophets as your example, who spoke in the name of the Lord. We just read through a few of them. Their best life then. So it makes a little more sense when James says to these righteous who are being, even some who are being put to death, you therefore then what? Your remedy is to be patient. Endure your mistreatment. You don't have an option. There's not a plan B. You've got to go through it head first. And never forget coming of the Lord is near. The judge is right at hand. There's a strength in good theology that will get you through the darkest of nights. It's called living with a biblical worldview. Amen? And then notice again the audacity of what James has to say about these suffering saints. We count those blessed who endured. Blessed is from this Greek word right here. How do I say that? Um, Matt. 
Yes. Thank you. My Texas tongue sometimes gets in the way of languages sometimes. I don't know. But yeah, Markarizo. This is our word for blessed. We count those blessed who endured. Check this out. Markarizo. This is from Lou Alnita. Uh-oh, what did I do? To regard someone as happy or fortunate in view of favorable circumstances. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> to regard someone as happy or fortunate in view of favorable circumstances. And Lou Alnita uses James 5.11 as their example right here. Mark Arizo, here's that word. Tus, and then this really long one. So we regard as fortunate those who have endured James 5.11. We count those blessed, wandering in deserts, mountains, caves, holes, in the ground, sawn in two, tempted, destitute, put to death by the sword. They were mocked, they were scourged, they were in chains, they were imprisoned. We count those blessed. And we view them as having favorable circumstances. They were very fortunate. <laughs> what? You see, are you seeing the importance of living with a biblical worldview and getting your eyes off the American dream? It's, it's hogwash. It's empty. It's an empty vessel that will leave you with nothing at the end of your lives. Jesus will leave you full. If you are persecuted like these prophets of old were persecuted and you endured, you had fortunate circumstances because you got to use your life as an example of the mighty grace of God all the way to the end. We count you as blessed. Oh, man. Praise God. You want to be counted as blessed? I do. And, man, we're just living in good old America, man. We got it easy. We worry about a little... Human suffering, like somebody may say, oh, well, you know, nanny, nanny, fool, you believe in Jesus too, or whatever. I mean, oh, we, and we get so, oh, it just hurt, that just hurt me so bad. Man, we've become a weak lot. And if you're not having some eyes to see the direction in which things are going, listen, you'd better start toughening up. You'd better start propping your heart up, as James told these strengthening your heart. Some days are coming. I may, I may cease from planet Earth before those days get here. I pray that the, that the coming of the Lord is, as it says, near. I hope it's right now. Be great. We're just gone. If you're left behind, just hit the lights. Or pay the, or pay the bill, because there won't be any of us left to pay the bill. Man, that would be awesome. But this is, <laughs> oh, we count those blessed who endured. They lived in very fortunate and favorable circumstances because they got to put on display the reality of the goodness of God and the sufficiency of God in and over their lives all the way to the end. Blessed life. Oh, I love that. And might we live that way too. James comes full circle. Remember chapter 1, verse 12? Stepping back. Blessed, same, same word. Makarizo. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. He will receive a crown of life. Praise God. So whatever you may be going through, I don't know what 
the sufferings you may be enduring, the persecutions you may be faced with, the reasons why it's difficult for you to be impatient and perhaps have a need to complain against one another within the church. I don't know what those things may be. But in the strong name of Jesus, I would encourage all of us, brothers and sisters, to be patient and to count our lives as blessed as a result of getting to endure other people, perhaps, who are irritant to us all the way to the end so that when we see the judge... We just hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. Amen? Amen. And so in 5.11, he continues, we count those blessed who endured. And then he uses, oh, daggone it, he uses Job. Come on, James. Have you heard of the endurance of Job? We already kind of knew of the endurance of the prophets, but the thing that I love about this is James makes the assumption that these brothers have heard of the endurance of Job. Because he doesn't say, have you? He says, you have heard. James, James has the, 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 uh, the, the implicit idea that these brothers and sisters know their Old Testament. They have heard of the endurance of Job, and they have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing with Job, and that the Lord is full of compassion, and that He is merciful. James believes that they have read that, they do know of that. It was in Job 1. When Job learned of all that had befallen him there in chapter 1, he he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and you know what it says in chapter 1, verse 20? He fell to the ground and worshipped. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. I think we hear a little bit of that from James earlier in James chapter 1. No one can say when they're tempted that God has tempted them because God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. And what we see here in Job is, was, oh, it was Satan who got called before the Lord. And it was Satan who was given permission. God allowed it to touch his life, right? And then, oh, and then, um, to make matters even better, Job had a really lovely wife. And she basically said, you know, Will you hold fast your integrity? She says to Job, curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Living with a biblical worldview, one of the earliest books probably in all of Scripture in the canon. And we're seeing the same thing there. In all this, it says, Job did not sin with his lips. You've heard of the endurance of Job, and you've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And though Job had a lot of lessons to learn about Leviathan and such, God was merciful and restored back to Job. Didn't have to, but he did. And I believe it was as an example... Because notice, it says right here, where does he say it? Come on, come on back, come on. Right here. As an example. You know what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 4? That the things that were written in the past were written for our instruction. And, and here James is saying that the prophets were written for our instruction. Job, his life, was also written for our instruction. And we have seen, we have heard, and we have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings with Job. So, too, we must then allow those examples to become our pattern. And Jesus also modeled this perfectly. 
Listen, patience and endurance go hand in hand. So when treated wrongly, regardless of the size of the wrong, God's Word tells us to be patient and to endure to the glory of His name. And when we do, your life will be that which is counted as blessed. Favorable circumstances. Getting to put on display the grace of God over and over and over and again and again and again. And the Lord's coming is near. Yeah. Amen? And by the way, you don't have to pray for patience. You're going to have opportunities today to demonstrate patience. Let's pray.